Every now and then, I meet someone who's changing the world for the better by their sheer will alone. Whether they're authors, activists, or adventurous, these people are blazing a path with their deep enthusiasm and allowing the world to follow. Their passion is strong, and my passion is to tell their stories. I am Brian Platt, and this is Passion Project. So I'm here with Amelia Mason. Uh, she's the founder and the director of uh, Skywatch Bird Rescue. How's it going, Amelia? How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Good. Um, wow. This is really cool. Uh, <laughs> this is really impressive. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, we just took a little walk around. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your organization? So we're a 501c3 bird rescue. Um, the, the full name is Skywatch Bird Rescue and Conservation Center. And what we do is offer rehabilitation... Um, and care for injured or orphaned wild birds to help them return back to the wild and offer a safe sanctuary and permanent residency for any types of domestic or exotic animals that may have been misplaced or in need of a good home. Wow, yeah. And how long have you been at this for? Like both professionally and also just... Um, I've been rehabilitating for maybe 12 years. Um, I started Skywatch Bird Rescue in 2010 uh, we purchased this particular property uh, to be the sanctuary uh, in 2014. So in total, I've been at it about 12 years, but um, the the property that we're on now has only been de- we've have been developing it for the last for the last uh, well five years. So since 2014. Oh uh, yeah, and you guys here? I mean, you have, don't even know how many birds you have. I don't some, even know. Some that fly in, some that are residents. Yeah, right. Um, um, it's hard to keep count because it fluctuates daily, especially in the summer when we're getting a new bird in every 15 minutes of the day. New birds coming in for care. So it's difficult to keep a count, but we have several hundred birds that live here permanently um, as residents. Some of them are free roaming, free range, right. like you see. Um, uh, many wild flocks of birds will land here and spend the day and then go about or... Um, wow. We've got some owls that visit the property at night. You have herons that come and try to mooch some free fish. Um, <laughs> and then all of the caged birds, of, co- of course, all the cages and aviaries outside have a lot of birds in them. The wild birds are all caged during their rehabilitation, of course, until they can uh, return to the wild. And real quick, who is this on your shoulder? Oh, this is uh... Millie. She's a rescue parrot. She's um, called a severe macaw. So essentially like a mini macaw. And she was rescued from similar, sort of a, an abandonment situation. Um, she has PTSD, so she's, she's a little bit psycho, like I call her. A little bit psycho, she's unique. Um, and she bonded with me over the course of time. She bonded with, you can tell she looks psycho. Yes. Look in her eyes, she looks like a psycho. Yeah. Ah, she's very so, attached. Yeah, very attached. So when we first got her, I think I was talking to you about, earlier about how parrots can develop these stress conditions from neglect mm-hmm. and from living in a small cage with no stimulation or mental interaction. And Millie had that. Millie had cage aggression and she was beginning to self-mutilate. She was oh, biting wow. her feet really badly um, and essentially making deep cuts into her toes and feet on a daily basis. So she was bleeding. Um, her perches were covered in blood every day because the nervous disorder, oh, wow. instead of plucking her feathers, she would chew on her feet. She would actually bite her own feet. Um, so first when we got her, she had to go into rehab, we had to physically restrain her every day. Me and Savannah did it, um, restrain her every day, wrap her feet, medicate them, medicate her, keep her on antibiotics. And after a few weeks of rehabilitation, um, 
you know, she calmed down somewhat, but she would still, she would like pull off the bandaging and, and dig into the wound, even though it's bleeding wow. already. And then one day I noticed that when we have her on our shoulder, she doesn't chew on our feet. So, um, basically we just started giving her a lot of shoulder time. So she that. helped me. We yeah. were like 24 hours. All Millie had to be on somebody's shoulder. Even at night, she mm-hmm. would sit on, on you know, next to me on a pillow when I was sleeping just to prevent her from biting her feet. Because I thought if we can just buy enough time, if we can just let the clock run out for her feet to heal, then we have a chance of... She might break the habit. She could, yeah, she might break the yeah. habit. She might acclimate because at some point we thought we were going to have to put her down. She was going to she was gonna amputate her own feet, her own toes, yeah. you know, so... Or, or pop a tendon. And now we have to, you know... So, um... Yeah. So it worked. After a while, we were able to take the wraps off and, again, just encouraged a lot of shoulder time and she stopped chewing her feet and she bonded with me. But she's a bit of a terrorist. I mean, she's she's so emotional. She, she has what I call severe detachment yeah. disorder. Like severe mm-hmm. emotional like detachment. abandonment issues. Abandonment issues, yes. right. So... She was, if I would, if I let her, she would just ride my shoulder 24 hours a day. Mm-hmm. So like now I give her some more shoulder time, but in, tonight when I go to put her in her cage, she'll like cling oh, no, to me and please. scream and bite my finger. Like, no, please don't put me down, please. <laughs> so Millie gets a lot of attention, needless to say. She'll drive with me in the car. She'll walk around on my shoulder outside when I'm doing chores. Um, she's so petrified of being abandoned again that she wants to physically uh, cling to you as tight as she can. Uh, Millie's only 10 years old and she had 23 homes before we got her. Wow. So every time she just just got comfortable with somebody, they would abandon her. Yeah. And then she would just get comfortable with somebody and they would dump her. So she just kept being abandoned over and over and over and being dumped over and over and over. And uh, parents are very intelligent. It's like a four-year-old child living in the foster system with with foster parents. And now she Mm -hmm. thinks you're going to be there forever and then you get pushed off to another foster home. And then you think you're going to be there forever. So you just bounce from home to home to home. And that's why they they develop these psychological issues. So look at Bear. I know. Sorry to <laughs> oh no, that's fine. <laughs> so we talked about a little bit about, um, you know, a, a percentage of these are actually rescued from the wild, and a percentage of these are actually from someone's home or someone right. thinks they have the capability yeah. to take them right. in, but they can't really care for them. Right. Or some of them are uh, birds that people have purchased. Had their fun with them and then dumped them at a pond yeah. or a park or the like beach Easter, or wherever. You're exactly. Easter and Easter yeah. coming up right Easter, now, so. unfortunately, is a terrible time for sh- for shelters uh, because they they sell you know chickens, baby chicks at the stores, at feed stores, that. or baby ducks and baby geese. Breeders will sell them. People will purchase them impulsively, like it's a toy. And once the fun wears off or once they're grown up, they then pick a spot somewhere to go and release them. Whether usually it's a public pond, it's a local pond. Um, which of course is completely unethical besides being illegal. Um, I can't raise a bunch of goats and decide then I want to go and dump the goats out in the local neighborhood. You know, I'd be arrested for that, but people do tolerate it with, with ducks and and birds, unfortunately. So Easter, we get a lot of baby ducklings that have been let loose at ponds and they're starving or snapping turtles have bitten off their legs or all kinds of horrible things. Wow. I've never heard of that. That Mm -hmm. sounds... Terrible. Yeah, it is terrible. Um, people do the same thing with rabbits. They buy Easter bunnies. And after Easter, they'll go dump them in the woods. And animal control picks up, you know, injured and starved yeah. domestic bunnies Sorry. all the time. Yeah, that's a problem for them, too, on the, on the bunny side. So it's not just chickens or ducks. It's also bunnies. Um, what percentage would you say is, like, from one side, from the side that people think they can domesticate them and the percentage that are actually wild that have been hit by cars or... 
So, you mean as far as our intake? Yeah. So, we can get anything from, let's say, one to three hundred domestic ducks and geese a year. Mm. Um, most of the other ducks and geese or waterfowl that we get throughout the year are wild. If it can fly, it is wild and it's, it's going to be okay mm. in the wild. But if it's a non-flighted bird, like the Affleck duck, you okay, see yeah. them at a pond, they don't belong there. They're not supposed to be there. Oh. They can't fly away. They are marooned at that pond. So if the weather is cold and no one comes by with food, that duck doesn't get food. Hmm. Unlike a wild duck, he, get, he would be at a pond, he gets hungry, and he doesn't. there's no food there, he can just fly over to another pond. Oh, yeah. And if there's no food there, he can fly over to another pond. He can fend for himself. But domestics can't. So wherever you dump them, they will stay there and be entirely dependent on whatever scraps people might throw out, usually hmm. bread, um, <clears throat> as they pass by. So It's not good for them to begin not with. Not good for them at all, yeah. Imagine you can't live off bread your whole life every day either. Yeah. Like you would need variety, so... So a small portion is our domestics. Most of the uh, birds that we get in are wild. And then every now and then, maybe once or twice a year, we will deal with either a hoarder uh, seizure yeah. where the authorities <laughs> will go in and remove birds from a hoarder's home. Oh, that sounds terrible. It is terrible because then we get like 300 birds in one day. We get all those birds in one fell swoop. So that's right. a massive burden on our manpower. Or something like um, the authorities will 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 bring a raid on a cockfighting ring, wow. and then you get in like a hundred injured cockfighting roosters all at once, right? So good lord, yeah. So so we always hope we won't have something this year, you know, whether it be a hoarder or or a cockfighting seizure or some kind of removal from neglect or a factory farm closing up, because uh, when they when they go bankrupt and they close up. They just shut the doors and leave the birds there. They don't like place them. Or forest. They just leave them there. Yeah, exactly. Or How something bad like was that. that mm-hmm. for you guys? Yeah, we took a we took a uh, influx of domestic birds after Florence, ducks and geese that people would find just washed away. Yeah. Um, or they even found many of them in crates, you know, on the side of the road, or, or, or just just abandonment, just yeah. leaving them behind. Some people willingly came and surrendered them because they lost their coop, they lost their home, and they don't have anywhere else to take the birds. So several we took parrots. in all several oh, parrots. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Owners that can no longer care for this parrot because their home is destroyed. Yeah. So wow. they don't have a choice anymore. Yeah, so we took quite wow. a, um, a, a nice bundle of birds there, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, yeah but it's... most of the birds trickle in throughout the year from people finding them or calling us, and we go catch them and bring them in for care. It's weird you're in a position that as much as you love birds, it's like having that influx is yeah, not right. a thing at all. Yeah. You know, no, yeah, it's yeah. um, it's a burden. You know, we we yeah. we don't get enjoyment or pleasure or money from doing this. Um, this is all for the birds. We do this because somebody has to step up to the plate and do it for them. And so, how did you guys fare? We we talked about this briefly, but during yeah. Florence, like you had to pack a lot of. Yeah, we did. We spent quite a lot of money evacuating, um, wow. paying for transports and trailers to come and load up birds and take them to other shelters that mm-hmm. would babysit them for us. Um, we took, we weren't, certainly weren't destroyed, but um, a quite a bit of damage. Yeah, yeah. So lost several cages, were destroyed. Others that you saw outside still need to be repaired. Mm-hmm. Um, lost two huge pecan trees, unfortunately. That's flooded massive amounts of flooding i mean so in here we were up to almost my shin in water oh, wow. water was in here all everything flooded um our house has several roof yeah. leaks the porch uh, the front porch of the house is rotting away it's coming down now so 
um, that's going to be long-term repair, right. you know, because we're a nonprofit. We can't just open the wallet and pay for everything right up front. We have to do it little by little by little. So, mm-hmm. but we survived. Um, the donkeys and the horses and the waterfowl stayed behind. Um, they have the best chance of surviving in a hurricane. But any of the small birds like parrots and the domestic chickens, those factory chickens you saw that are not waterproof at all, okay. we evacuated them. Anything, any of the rehab birds were evacuated, smaller birds like um, cockatiels, doves, those kinds of things were all evacuated. Roughly how many did you evacuate? Ooh, hundreds of birds. Wow. Hundreds and hundreds. Yeah, yeah. and um, and two donkeys too. Uh, the one donkey... All, the donkeys all came from a kill pen, a slaughter situation where they were going to be shipped to Mexico for for slaughter. Um, so we rescued the donkeys shortly before the hurricane. And um, they all, of course, arrived, you know, sick and messed up. And one was pregnant. So she gave birth oh, a week before the hurricane. She gave birth to the baby donkey. So we evacuated her and the baby and the goat. Uh, the others stayed behind. <laughs> So it was, it was an endeavor. It was a massive endeavor. So 24 hours. Yeah, it was like yeah. two days straight of... Just catching. Just catching night, birds just catching for two days straight and, and loading, loading them, them into crates. crates. <laughs> Transporters wow. were coming one after another. We would load your truck, strap things yeah. down. He goes, the next person's coming in with a trailer. Now, you know. And you got to load them back and bring them back. Yes, yeah. Wow. Yeah, so it, it took two days just to catch and load everybody. I'd say all in the entire process was probably three days before the hurricane mm-hmm. hit. And then, yeah, and then a while later, you have to bring everybody back. So then they start trickling back. And yeah. we didn't get all of the birds back. Um, one of the places that, that uh, housed the birds for us was Carolina Waterfowl Rescue. And they already have their own hundreds of birds to deal with. Yeah. Um, so I gave her permission. I said, look, if you need to cut them loose and mix them with yours, go and do it. Because it's a lot easier to take my chickens and just cut them loose with her chickens than to keep my chickens separate because they have to return later. You know, that kind of thing is mm-hmm. more maintenance. So we didn't get them all back, and some birds kind of, kind of mixed up. You know, we got yeah, birds back yeah. that weren't ours. And so, yeah. But it's all fine. It's all good. I mean, all the birds were safe, and that's what matters. So Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, 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 you know, we try to help each other in that way. If they needed help, we would help them. Um, so we try to, the, the rescues try to support each other as much as you can, as much as possible. Wow. Yeah. So what do you, what's the common injury for the... For the wild birds that you see come in here. It really, you see a trend every season. It's seasonal. Mm. So in the summer, uh, we get a lot of songbirds because they're having babies. It's breeding season. So we'll see an influx of um, just fledgling songbirds, uh, well-meaningly and inadvertently being, you know, kidnapped by people that find them in their yard, Mm. hopping around. And they assume automatically that they're injured because they can't fly when they don't realize it's normal for a fledgling to be hopping around in your yard. That's what he's supposed to do. And they don't see the mom, and so they intervene. They interfere and try to help, even though everything is fine. So we see a lot of what we call, you know, bird nappings. Um, people will bring these babies that they think are orphaned that are not orphaned, or they'll bring in, uh, you know, fledglings that they think are injured that are not injured. So, um, and we'll see a lot of songbirds just get hit by vehicles, cat attacks. That's a pretty common trend in the summer. In the fall, um, a lot of the shorebirds we get in will be um, have issues from uh, fish hooks. And tackle or being wrapped up in fishing line. Yeah. So in the fall, you see a lot of those, you know, trends, a lot of those type of injuries. In the winter, we'll see a lot of birds uh, with frostbite. Right. Um, or just malnutrition because the weather is tough and then they're flying kind of slow and low and then they get hit by a car. Mm-hmm. Right. So if the heron's on the side of the road foraging in the ditch for some fish, he takes off. He's weak because he hasn't been able to eat for a couple of days. He flies kind of low and slow and across the highway and then the cars will hit them. So you'll see a lot of uh, collisions. In the fall, we see a lot of uh, owls and hawks that have been uh, collided with vehicles. So 
um, collisions to their head and their eyes, damage to their eyes and face and, and having broken wings. In the spring, we get an influx of Canada geese that are trying to cross the street with their family because the babies can't fly yet, right? They can't fly over, so they have to walk over from pasture to pasture and pond to pond to go forage, and then they get plowed through by cars. So every season has a different sort of a flavor, you could say, and, yeah. the, and the injuries that you see kind of trend by season to season too. See the cyclones? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, she just like abuses me. She abu- yeah, yeah. she like bite me and yeah. cling on to me. Like, I love you, but I yes. hate you. Yeah. yeah, I'm her hostage when she's on me. It's like, yes, ma'am. I'm so, you know, I'm sorry. So, um, so what does someone do when they find a bird in a particular situation? A, to first know that they do need help, like you mentioned, they might yeah. need help. And so B, summertime, summer can be deceiving because you'll find young birds that look like babies and you will jump the gun and you'll try to intervene too quickly. Mm-hmm. It's normal for a lot of juvenile birds to be on the ground in the summer. Okay. Hawks and owls, those little, uh, they're called branchers. So um, first they're babies in the nest, then they get a little bit bigger and they'll sit on the edge of the nest and then they get a little bit bigger and they'll jump into the b- tree branch. And then at some point they'll ground themselves and mom and dad will come to the ground and feed them. And that's normal. But when people find them, they think that that's, you know, why should you should be flying? He's a bird. He must be injured. Right. But he's just not old enough. Or they think, um, you know, he's orphaned because they don't see the mom. So we see a lot of um, birds being taken. So the first thing is to assure that he really does need your help. Right. Yeah. That's that's a that's a that's going to be tricky in the summertime because. People don't know, and they mean well. Right. Outside of summertime, let's say fall and winter and spring, basically, if you can catch a wild bird, there's something wrong. An adult. I should say an adult wild bird. Gotcha. If you can catch an adult wild bird, that's not normal. You shouldn't be able to catch him. A wild bird would never allow a human mm-hmm. to just touch him. Otherwise, any predator can just come up and, and, and get them, right? So if you can capture an injured wild bird that, that is an adult, something is wrong. Whether you see an injury or not, he could have a disease, he could have a parasite, he could have swallowed a fish hook that you can't see. So um, the rule of thumb, warm, dark, and quiet. So throw a towel over the bird, put him in some kind of confined space, whether it's a box or a crate or even any kind of confined space. You don't have to overthink it. We've had people... Bring in seagulls in a paper bag and they roll the top closed, right? Any kind of confined space where the bird can sit still and then transport it to the rescue as soon as you can or find a transport um, or call the rescue and tell them, I can't transport, but I have the bird. Mm-hmm. Can you can you come and get it? There's always a way to, to figure that out. So um, do not try to administer self-care. Don't try to yeah. give the animal food or water. And don't talk to it. Like Right. Respect the fact that it is a wild animal. Right. He's not used to being held by a human in their lap, you know, singing to them and petting them mm-hmm. and telling them, shh, it's okay. You're just making scary noises right. to scare them. And the stress factor um, really can, can kill some of the wild birds, can die from stress alone. Like morning doves and cardinals are very prone to, to being stressed out to death by people who mean well. So don't talk to them. They're not a cat or a dog. They're not domesticated. They're not used to being in close proximity with humans. So just keep them quiet and covered up. They, seeing you and hearing you scares them. So just confine the animal, call for help, uh, don't interact with it, and don't try to, to try to care for it. Um, that's very important is the care. The way, so when we get, we get a lot of UNCW students that come by for internships. And the way I explain it to them is, imagine you've been in a car accident today. Your leg is broken, you've got a concussion and some broken ribs, right? You're, 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 you're seriously injured, you cannot move, you've got internal bleeding, you're trapped in the car. When the EMT comes, they don't go, here, take a sandwich, quick, eat the sandwich, right? They don't feed you. 
you're hurt, you're in pain, you're in shock, you need some fluids, you need a pain medication, right? You need a warm blanket. You do not need steak and potatoes right now. Yeah. That's the furthest thing from your mind, right? Or let's say that, that's bear. That's <laughs> really bear. Is it that bad? Had a long day. Or you're, let's say you're trapped in this car. You've just had the accident. You're still you're in critical condition. You have pain all over your body. EMT doesn't show up and pour water into your mouth from a bottle, right? They don't do that. Right. Food and water is actually the last thing we give the injured animals. First, it's it's medic medical attention, so medication, mm -hmm. right? Just stopping the bleeding, antibiotics, pain meds, stuff like that. And even then, when we go to hydrate them, it is intravenously or subcutaneously. We don't pour water down their mouths, right? Because they'll choke. They're inhaling the water. Birds are not mammals. That's another thing, too. Their airway is actually a part of their tongue. So when you're pouring that water onto their tongue, it goes straight into their lungs. And now they've got sitting water in their lungs. It gets, causes bacterial infection. And they aspirate. They can't take enough oxygen now when they're breathing because they've inhaled water. So when you see these images of, like, Baby birds opening their mouths and people have a water dropper dripping the water into their mouth. They're just killing them. They're just aspirating them and those babies are going to die. Wow. Yeah. And you They're see not mammals. The anatomy is different. They are birds. So you don't know what you're doing. Don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's right. a good point. And you probably see that a lot. Well-intentioned people so much. doing the wrong thing. So path. much. Yeah. We'll see people that found a nest of babies and they don't see mom around. Mm -hmm. So they'll just take the whole nest into their house. And now they're going from 98 degrees outside to inside their house where the air conditioning is blasting, nice and cool, 70 or 75, right? So right away, these babies begin to go hypothermic. Every minute that goes by, they're becoming hypothermic, hypothermic, hypothermic. Now they're hypothermic. And on top of that, they'll, it's, a, it's a natural automotive response. They open their mouths for food. That doesn't mean they're hungry. They'll do this when they're dying. They'll do it in front of a predator. It's an automotive response, like you blink and breathe. We don't think about blinking, we just blink. So they open their little mouths because it's an auto automatic response. And now people start dripping water in their mouth and they'll stuff food in their mouth. Wow. And then hours and hours, maybe even sometimes days later, by the time the babies arrive here, they have thoroughly messed them up. And right. they're, they're, just, they're, on, they're on death's door. They're on the brink of death. When all they should have done was leave them alone outside and call first. Right. Call and see, should I be interfering right now? Is this normal? Um, don't Google, don't DIY, look up anything about wild animal care. Um, people that know how to care for wild animals don't post it online. That's the thing, uh, especially with birds, specifically with birds, because the law doesn't want you to DIY. Federal law doesn't want you to do it yourself. That's why it's illegal. That's why it's a federal yeah, it's illegal, offense. Yeah. Right. So there are no proper instructions online that tells you how to raise a hawk or how to raise a baby owl or a songbird. The people that post them are DIYers themselves. They're just posting what they did. But it doesn't mean that was the right thing, right? right you'll yeah. go online and you'll see, um, yeah, mix bread with water and put that in their mouth. That's what they did. That's not what you're supposed to do. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, DIYers are very quick to post online as if they're experts when they're not. Put it, let me put it this way. Dentists don't post online how to do dental surgery, very do true. they? Yeah. It's, they're not supposed to. They're supposed to do it at home. That's why they don't post it. Uh, sorry, it's noisy in here. Uh, right. So don't look things up online. Call a shelter and speak to them on the phone and get instructions there. The shelter will guide you on whether it's necessary to intervene or not. Yeah. And a lot of times people don't, they're so quick and hasty to want to help. So when it comes to the juvenile birds, like let's say they find a baby owl on the ground or a baby hawk on the, on the branch low or on the roof or songbirds. If people listen to the instructions, we tell them to wait, step back, you know, take, take a few steps back. Um, and just observe, observe for an hour, give it a full good hour and just watch hmm. 
And sure enough, when people do that, when they actually follow the instructions, after 20 or 30 minutes, they'll call back and, oh my gosh, you won't believe it. Mom just came with the nest and she fed the babies. I, I guess everything that. is okay. Happens yeah. all the time. So, oh my gosh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, what, that, that just what you said happened. Like, I can't yeah. believe it. So, just be patient and not be so quick to intervene. So, that's um, got to be tough because you've got, you know, rehabilitation for the birds, but you've also probably been a bigger part of it yeah is education for oh absolutely people. right yeah, yeah exactly every second call in the summer is just some type of misinterpretation that folks are making mm-hmm. and it's just lack of education so yeah. we're, we're educating them with almost every single phone call we're trying to share that info and it's on our website and we make facebook posts and we push 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 the info um but some people just really <laughs> i know this sounds weird but some people really want there to be something wrong with the animal mm. they want it to be so that so that they can yeah. Have that fun experience of DIYing. Imagine, yeah. You know, they don't want to just, oh, go back in my house and everything's fine. Oh, bummer. Did I tell you, you know? about the time I took a bird into my house? And all <laughs> right, that exactly. Story. Sure. No, they want, they so they call and we give them that info. And like, well, no, that can't be right. Mm-hmm. That, that's not true. Wow. Yeah, they just won't believe us. So wow. it's like, that's oh my be gosh. Okay. Because they go on Google and they see something else and we can't possibly be right when Google says this. So, um, so some people actually almost seek it out. They almost want. They yeah. make the experience happen whether it needed to happen or not. They uh, take yeah, that baby wow. whether it needed to be taken or not. So, Well, so that's a good point. Like, how do people, uh, you know, follow you guys or support Skywatch? Or... Yeah. So we have our Facebook page, Skywatch yeah. Bird Rescue Facebook, and our website, skywatchbirdrescue.org. Um, frequently here in Wilmington, we'll be on the news or the radio. There's always some kind of event that takes place, yeah. you know, that the news will come out to. Um and there's many different ways of getting involved. You can volunteer. One of the, the big things we need in summer are transporters. Um, so basically Ubers, birdie Ubers, right? Um, a lot of people that find injured birds are afraid of the birds. So they don't want to put a towel over it and put it into a box and drive it to the rescue. They don't want to touch the bird. They want you to come and get the bird, which is really nice. But our manpower cannot ever keep up with the amount of pickup requests that we get, mm-hmm. right? So... Um, if we get 30 birds a day, I don't have 30 people to just send and go be, you know, pickups of the birds because they're not on the clock. They're not paid with a van ready to go. You know, they're right, not animal right. control that, that somebody is scheduled to drive around town and pick up all the animals. Right, yeah. Um, it's all volunteer based and most of the volunteers have normal lives. They have jobs and kids and stuff. So we really have to sort of find a volunteer who is available right now to go get the bird. We don't have them just sitting on the sideline on the benches, ready to, ready to be deployed. Right. Mm-hmm. So so manpower can be a struggle when every single caller says, "Well, I have an appointment. Can you go pick? Can you come pick it up?" Or, "Well, I'm not really too comfortable touching it. Can you come pick it up? Can you pick up? Can you pick up? Can you pick up?" Which is good because you don't right. want people who don't know what they're doing, but also you need right. you need to have the actual people there. Yeah, most of the instructions that we give to callers is is really very simple and very basic. We would never tell someone to do something that's going to get them injured. Okay. Usually, if an animal's severely injured, you can just pick them up with a towel or a blanket. You don't need special equipment. You don't need special tools. Oh. Um. But a lot of people just are, they're uncomfortable. They don't want to try um, because they've never done it before, right? So they prefer that you come pick it up. But the problem with that is it could be three hours before a volunteer can get there. Mm -hmm. And if they bring it themselves, the bird just gets that care so much faster, right? The clock is ticking once they're injured. It's like, again, you've been in the car crash, you're trapped in the car. And now there's only uh, EMT volunteers that have to be. So, okay, let's, we've got to find somebody now. It might be three hours before they get there. Um, to help you out of this car. (laughs) So um, we we wish we could pick up every single bird, but the manpower just isn't enough. Mm. And if we're leaving the rescue to pick up other birds, we're not caring for the birds that are already here. 
So we always encourage people to try to make that ride. I know it's 20 minutes out of your day and it might be inconvenient, but the faster the bird can get here, the, the better his chance of survival. Yeah. Well, Amelia, thank you so much. I really yeah, appreciate thank you. it. Uh, this is incredible. Did he just repeat <laughs> me? Did he just say thank you? Millie? <laughs> well, yeah, thank you so much for your yeah, time. Yeah, no really problem. It was it. fun was to great. have you. Yeah. Thanks for joining. If you liked that episode, feel free to rate, view, and subscribe. That actually really helps. If you haven't seen it yet, take a look at the accompanying blog. Don't forget your boots.com, where you can read more and see photos for all the interviews. Until next time. Take care.